Thanks for joining our Dialing Into Your Best Dairy, a podcast series brought to you by dairy educators with Cornell University. In this series, we'll be walking through a cow's life cycle to pinpoint best management practices to maximize each cow's genetic potential in your herd. Welcome to the next episode of the Cornell Cooperative Extension's Dialing Into Your Best Dairy. I'm Dairy Management Specialist Margaret Quasdorf, and I'm joined by other dairy specialists, Dave Belbian and Melanie Palmer. Today we're talking about dialing in your lactating cows to reach their full genetic potential. Dave, would you like to start us off by walking through nutrition considerations for our lactating cows? Sure, sure. One of my favorite topics. So I guess let me start off by just saying one of the biggest limiting factors nutritionally to high daily milk production as far as pounds of components per cow per day, that's what we're really after. Not so much pounds of milk, but they go hand in hand. Biggest limiting factor is energy intake. An energy intake is directed toward milk production and influenced by many things. Um, maintenance requirements, which every animal has maintenance requirements. Requirements for growth, so our first calf heifers and even our second calf are still putting some energy into growth. Pregnancy requirements, which really aren't really large until we get to the tail end of uh, pregnancy. The replenishment or depletion of body reserves. We, we know our high producing cows will pull body reserves to uh, produce milk, but we need to uh, replenish those body reserves in later lactation. And also there's some requirements for immune function. To keep our cows healthy, they need some energy basically to maintain their immunity. So kind of in simplest terms, two factors really kind of influence energy intake. Um, we need to be careful that we have enough effective fiber for these cows to keep them and their rumens healthy. But the first one is really the energy density of the diet. So the proportion of grain in the diet really is going to influence the energy density in the diet and how energy dense that grain is. If there's some added fat in the diet, uh, which is a real high, uh, a really dense form of energy, what types of fat and how much and the quality of forage in the diet and how digestible that fiber in that forage is. The other big thing is dry matter intake. I've always said that, you know, once a nutritionist balances a diet for 80 to 90 pounds of milk on their computer, you know, how do we get cows making 150 or 200 pounds of milk per day on a diet that's basically balanced for 90 pounds? Well, once you hit that 90 pound level or somewhere in that ballpark on your computer, pretty much everything else is intake. Uh, and I've always told producers, if every additional pound of intake on a high group diet was directed to milk production, typically that pound of dry matter intake is gonna be equivalent to about two and a half to three pounds of milk. Now, of course, cows will partition that feed and use that energy in different ways, but if it all went to milk production, uh, it's worth quite a bit. So intake is affected by milk production level, that's gonna drive intake, the size of the animal, Certainly an 1,800-pound cow is going to have the ability generally to consume more than a 1,200-pound cow. The forage-to-concentrate ratio, as we get the concentrate up, that tends to drive intake a little bit. Uh, the digestibility of the fiber portion of the diet or the forages. The palatability of the ration, based on the ingredients that are in there, how fresh and palatable that is, how well-preserved and stable the fermented feeds are. Are they free from molds and mycotoxins? The availability of feed or access to feed at the feed bunk. We don't want to have what we call the empty bunk syndrome. The times per day that cows are fed or how often feed is pushed up. 
any kind of overcrowding there may be in the stalls and at the feed bunk uh, is going to have uh, have an impact on dry matter intake. So all of those things we need to be thinking about. So the, the one thing that uh, in recent years here has gotten a lot of attention is the digestibility of fiber in our forages and the impact that that has on dry matter intake. You've heard people probably talk about what is called the UNDF 240 value. Quite a few people have done work on looking at this value on corn silage, but it's also important in our other forages. And people say, well, why is it important? A feed doesn't stay in a cow for 240 hours, that's 10 days. Well, it's important because we know if we have a, a low amount of undigestible NDF at 240 hours, that influences feed intake. So the more digestible that feed is, the more a cow is gonna eat. And I've already covered the fact that one pound of dry matter is worth a lot from a standpoint of milk production potential. BMR corn silage is uh, compared to conventional, which there's a lot of things to talk about there, but uh, they certainly have a higher fiber digestibility. Low lignin alfalfa is something that's come out a few years ago. I mean, to me, it's real exciting to see technologies in our forages that can can influence the digestibility of these feeds and, and uh, allow cows to eat more of them. Our early first cutting is generally, if it's cut on time, uh, the best quality cutting that we have because of the environmental conditions. It's cooler and cooler uh, conditions are gonna help digestibility. One of the things our team and some other folks around the state is they've used alfalfa height to kind of monitor when to harvest first cutting. And uh, it's amazing how it can vary from year to year as far as whether we have an early or late spring. For 100% alfalfa stands, we use 28 inches of height as the optimal time for lactating cow quality. And we also use alfalfa for grasses, nearby grass fields. So when alfalfa is 14 inches tall, our grass fields are ready to go, and our mixed stands are gonna be somewhere in, in between. So I haven't talked about protein yet when it comes to feeding cows. And I guess the one thing I would say is that the importance of protein in the diet is not so much the protein itself, but what we call metabolizable protein. So we have all different sorts, different types of proteins, more rapidly degraded protein, bypass protein. What's really important is to use a computer program that's going to model what's going on in the cow, and it's going to give us what's called a metabolizable protein. It's really looking at rumen bacterial production. And these rumen bugs continually turn over they're pushed into the lower tract where they supply the cow with amino acids. And amino acids are really the building blocks of protein. So in actuality, we're really trying to balance these diets for amino acids rather than protein itself. And when we think about amino acids, our first two limiting amino acids are lysine and methionine. And an initial indicator of having our amino acids balanced properly, having, having it done successfully, is higher milk protein content as a percent. That's one of the first indicators. We can also drive intake a little bit, get a little bit more milk production. It does cost some money, so we need to look at the economics. Uh, but also improved immunity can be achieved by amino acid balancing. And more recent work has shown that by balancing diets for amino acids in our pre-fresh cows, that can result in better milk production performance the following lactation and improve immunity as well. The one thing I would say is that, you know, we should think about not feeding the cows, but feeding the rumen and feeding the rumen bugs. And they love boredom when it comes to feed. We wanna feed them the same feed, the same time, the same every day, just a boring, boring situation. That's what they really love. 
We want to make sure that our feeds are well fermented. We could talk for days on how to preserve feed well, how to pack it well, the use of inoculants, and how you can decide whether it's going to be beneficial. Most of the time they are if they're managed well and handled well. We just need to have well-preserved, high-quality forages for these cows. And your nutritionist needs to be using some type of a modeling program that's either CNCPS, that's the Cornell Net Carbohydrate Protein System model, or something equivalent. They need to be using a, an up-to-date uh, computer program that has the latest technology to put these diets together for you. Uh, and you need to have a competent nutritionist, has that technology, knows how to use it, and can work with you and communicate with you, monitor the cows and the feed on the farm. So with that, I'm going to ask Melanie to talk a little bit about some other things that we ought to think about from a standpoint of day-to-day -day management on the farm, from a standpoint of getting these cows fed. So Melanie, what can you tell us about the kind of things that producers themselves ought to be thinking about and doing to be successful? Thanks, Dave. This is Melanie, and I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the key people on our farm, and that's the one that feeds our animals every day, okay? Uh, and if you're employees that mix feed for the cows, that deliver feed to the cows, they are kind of a key factor here. We have a goal, and when it comes to feeding cows, the main goal is the right diet every day. There's an old saying that indicates that there are three rations, the one on paper, the one that is fed, and the one that the cow eats. So of those three, we need to have the correct one, okay? And that's the one that the cow eats. So we need to make sure that that's the same as the one on paper. When it comes to feeding, our sub goals are accuracy and consistency. Accuracy, how close is the feed delivered to that cow to what is actually formulated? Are we underfeeding? Are we overfeeding nutrients? We need to be as accurate as possible. Okay, in order to do that, we need to make sure that we have some key items in place. Do we have nutrient analysis of the feed components that are going into that diet to that cow? When it comes to the feed components, our main things that we need to really test and analyze are the forages. Of course, the forages are the part of the diet that the farm usually puts up and stores to feed the animals. So we need to have uh, accurate analysis of those feed components to make sure we have a, a correct diet. And whenever we do forage analysis, which they need to be done whenever there's either new feeds that we're hitting in the bunk or any kind of changes, we need to update our forage analysis. And then we have to reformulate the diets. We've done a new forage test. We have to reformulate diets using those updated forage tests to make sure that we've got the right nutrients going to those cows. Dry matter. Dry matter is another important part of making sure that we get that accurate diet to those cows. And why is it important? It's because the nutrients going to that cow are in the dry matter portion of the feed, not in the water. Okay, so we have to make sure we know what the dry matter content is of those forages. Dry matter is what rations are balanced on. So we're back to how important is dry matter? It's pretty important, okay? And the whole accuracy of the diet does depend on the dry matters. How often do we check dry matters? Most farms will have a coster tester, that's the unit that we can run a quick um, analysis, dry matter analysis on to make sure that we've got an accurate number. And we need to do those tests whenever there is a change in the forages. Um, did we see something different in the bunk that's indicating that we're into a different cutting of a hay crop? 
Um, do we do them on a weekly basis? Do we do them on a monthly basis? Herman, on what takes place at your farm, as far as how frequently we need to do those. Did we change from one bunk silo or one upright silo to another one? Anytime any of that takes place, we need to make sure that we do dry matter checks and possibly even a new forage analysis. What about a rain event or a snow melt? Um, weather conditions for the bunk silos. Is that rain that rained all day yesterday, does that affect the dry matter on that forage that we're feeding the next day? So maybe we need to get out there and do a dry matter check before we start mixing feed for that day after a weather event. We also need to keep track of what is mixed. And that can be done with a simple spreadsheet when your feeder is making sure that they're doing accurate weights of all of the ingredients that are going into, the, um, into that mixer wagon. Are we making daily adjustments for forage dry matters based on animal pen numbers? We all know that on a daily basis, we can either add to an animal pen number or we can take away, we can um, remove animals from that. So is that feeder, that important feeder of your farm, are they in contact with the people that are taking care of the animals so that they're communicating with each other and making sure that they know if there's been a change in animal pen numbers? Okay, so we've just talked about uh, accuracy as far as that ration goes, and now we need to address consistency. Like Dave indicated, the cows, or as we should say, the rumen bugs love boredom when it comes to their feed. Variability in a ration can lead to either increased dry matter intakes or decreased dry matter intakes. And we know that if we decrease intakes, we're gonna decrease nutrients, which could lead to decreased milk production, which is not anything that we want. So we need to look at some items that are gonna affect consistency on a daily basis. Are proper mixing protocols in place? Do your feeders know what order, as far as type of feed, whether it's a forage, whether it's a concentrate, what order do they get put into the mixer wagon? Is there, are there recommendations from the manufacturer of that mixer wagon to know which order needs to be put into that wagon to make the best mixed feed? What about the quantity in that mixer? And what about the length of mixing time once all of the ingredients have been put in? The other thing that we need to keep in mind is that mixer wagon is a piece of equipment that's being used daily and there's room for just wear and tear on that mixer wagon so we need to make sure we've got the maintenance up on it and most importantly the accuracy of the scales. Do you have a protocol in place for calibration, routine calibration on that mixer wagon to make sure that those scales are operating properly? Feed delivery, like Dave also said, Mixing and delivering the feed the same every day, the same time every day. And it can be boring to us, but it absolutely is not to those cows and those rumen bugs. So that's a key thing. Boredom is what they like. Employee training. Any new employee obviously should have training no matter what position they're doing on your farm. And when it comes to that feed person, that's kind of a critical position. So we need to make sure that the employees are trained properly. They need to realize that feeding accuracy and consistency are top points here when it comes to making sure that we're getting that right ration to those cows. So do we have a routine that the trained employees have um, and make sure that those new employees learn that routine or what about your standard protocols? Do you have them in place when it comes to mixing a batch of feed? Okay, so not only do new employees need to be trained, 
your current employees need to have review once in a while to make sure that everything is up to par. Do all of your feeding employees, do they know how to perform dry matter checks? Are they doing it correctly? Do they know how to run that cost or tester so that they're doing it correctly and getting accurate numbers? And a proactive feeder is a lot better than a reactive feeder, okay? So a proactive feeder is going to be one that communicates with their the herds people that didn't report to them that we took 10 cows out of that animal pen today, so you need to adjust your total batch of feed that's being mixed because there's less animals in that group. So it's good to promote and teach your employees to be a proactive feeder. Ask questions, know what's going on if they don't get that information ahead of time. There's also feed management software tools, TMR tracker, or you can actually just set up spreadsheets for your farm where information is entered as far as the amounts, the weights that you're using every day. So you can keep track how many tons are in that bunk and are you feeding accordingly? Have you got, after you fed 30 days, are you down to a quantity that should be there? So just a way to make sure that you're keeping track of the forages and the feeds that you're feeding. So those are the two key things and that is to make sure you're consistent and that you're accurate and that the daily feed is pretty boring every day. Next, we're gonna go through some feeding management recommendations from the Miner Institute on how to create the perfect dining experience for your cows. Margaret, what do we mean by that? Sure, what we mean by that is, what can we do to make the eating experience, which is something that we want her to do to the best of her ability, how do we make that easy and comfortable for the cow? The first thing we wanna do is have fresh quality feed in front of the cow when she wants it and in the amount that she wants. We never wanna allow the bunk to sit empty for more than three hours. A bunk that runs out overnight causes the cows to lose time for optimal dry matter intake, which leads to a drop in milk and loss of efficiency. If possible, try dropping feed to cows twice per day. Research shows an increase of over three pounds of dry matter intake, resulting in four or more pounds of additional milk when we feed two times versus one time per day. Cows will also sort less and eat more evenly throughout the day, which is good for rumen health as well. While feeding, strive for about 3% refusal rate. Any less, and you'll likely be shorting your highest producing cows. The next thing we want to do is to make sure that we're pushing up feed and redistributing it often, especially in the first two hours after feeding and when the cows are most competitive. Making sure that there's adequate feed in front of each headlock or space along the rail significantly reduces the tendency for cows to displace each other and display other competitive interactions while eating. Pushing up feed and evenly distributing along the bunk optimizes feed intake, feeding behavior, and improves feed efficiency without cutting into the cow's resting and rumination time. Remember, for a cow, resting time is a priority over eating time and they'll sacrifice one minute of eating for every three and a half minutes of lost resting time. The last point to consider in creating our perfect dining experience is the stocking density at the feed bunk. When we only allow 12 to 18 inches of bunk space per animal, some cows, and that's usually the more submissive and less competitive cows, they'd prefer to wait to eat alone and away from competitive embossed cows. This often leads to these animals consuming the leftovers or second choice feed, which limits their potential milk production. Even when bunk space is increased to 24 inches, 40% of these submissive cows still choose to eat away from others, 
So if we are dialing in our dairy to have our cows reach their full genetic potential, it's recommended that we keep transition cow pens at 80 to 100% stocking density. Again, we are the dairy specialists of Cornell Cooperative Extension. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. Check the website for links to resources for dialing in your dairy, and we look forward to having you join us next time. Thanks. This podcast has been presented by Regional Dairy Educators with Cornell Cooperative Extension and ProDairy. Thank you.